On this week's episode of Life and Lessons, I answer a question about business, a question about fashion, and if you stay to the end, you're going to hear about a new project. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to this episode number 24 of Life and Lessons. I'm Sean Spooner, and if you're new here, here's what you need to know. For 52 weeks between the ages of 24 and 25, I'm going to be recording and releasing a weekly podcast to see just how much my life can change in a year. This is the story of growing a business, of growing as a person, and it's a completely honest view into my life as I take on some fairly unusual things. And this episode right here is all about week number 24 in that journey. Right, how are you? I hope you are well. I hope you've had a good week. Um, week number eight, week number nine of lockdown is this. I don't even I don't even know what week we're in right now. Um, but as I'm sure you'd agree, every week feels the same right now. Every week is the same right now, even with the uh, the, the lesser restrictions on the lockdown at the moment. Uh, I haven't changed my habits. This is very much a standard lockdown week for me, um, which is why, to be honest, this episode is going to be another one of answering your questions because not a great deal has happened this week. It's been a, a warm week. It's been hot outside. It's been a productive week, but it's also been a really uneventful week. And so, as I sometimes do, as you'll know if you've been here for a while, I've picked a couple of questions which were asked on Instagram. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to try and answer those questions. But before I do that, what have I been up to this week? Well, like I say, honestly, not a lot. You might remember last week that I said I hadn't been on a run at that point in a couple of days because I thought I had slightly hurt my knee and one of my ankles. Well, that quickly changed overnight into both of my ankles being absolutely fucked. Uh, Last week, well, for the last week, I haven't been able to stand up for much more than a few minutes at a time without being in pain. Uh, And going on a walk on Monday evening really didn't help things. So I booked an appointment and spoke to a GP on Doctor Care Anywhere. And she told me that I've likely damaged both of my Achilles tendons and that I shouldn't run for at least three weeks. So the couch to 5k is off. My run five, nominate five thing is off. Uh, And yeah, not going to be running for a while. And I tell you what. She said, don't run for three weeks. There is no danger of that. With the pain I'm in right now, just from standing up or even sitting down, there's there's absolutely no danger of me going on a run or even a walk anytime soon. And it turns out that running uh, in what I've now come to know as fashion trainers is a really bad idea and that road running is far more dangerous than I ever imagined. Like, When I tell you I had no clue, I really mean it. I had absolutely no idea that you could do any kind of damage from simply running for a few minutes on the pavement in the wrong trainers, let alone such dramatic, painful, continuous damage. And so I haven't been very mobile this week. I went on the smallest of walks this morning for about eight minutes 
uh, just to try and slowly ease my way back into walking. But other than that, I have literally remained in the house for the last four or five days non-stop trying desperately not to stand up because it hurts um and saying that actually this is this is the first episode i recorded in the last six or seven weeks where i have sat down to record it because i can't imagine having to stand up for the duration of this podcast so there's that um and other than that this week has also been a really exciting week for dream as a business we're working on some genuinely big things to take us into the second half of this year and well into next year as the economy eventually recovers in that time period Uh, and I spoke a few weeks ago about this concept of being anti-fragile during coronavirus that being of using this time that we all have to try and come out of this bad situation stronger rather than weaker Uh, and in many ways that's exactly what we as a business have been doing in recent weeks. We're taking this time to build the foundations to allow us as a business to move beyond coronavirus stronger. So not weaker, not kind of in the same shape as where we came into it, but actually a stronger and a better business. Uh, and there's, there's, to be honest, there's not a lot I can talk about right now with that. Uh, but I'm sure in a few months time, I will be telling you all about what we're working on right now and that's it really other than more ongoing bullshit of trying to get my dad into a care home uh, it is wild how broken and backwards and fragmented uh, that entire system is and I honestly I really really do not know how my mum would cope with and to be able to deal with and take care of this situation if me and my brother weren't around like the number of telephone calls and emails and documents and departments and councils and homes and it's crazy crazy how much heavy lifting we've had to do uh, to just find my dad a care home let alone get him in there um but look that's that's all a story for another episode Um, and I'm sure I'll be telling you more about that in an episode when I can kind of conclude my thoughts there Uh, but in the meantime until then let's get straight into the two questions that I mentioned for this episode Uh, both of the questions are really quite different and they're both from people who haven't asked a question before so it's great to have two new questions from two new people we have a question about growing a business Uh, which is entirely expected. And then we have a question about my fashion sense, which is entirely unexpected. Um, I'm going to tackle the business growth one first, because the person who asked this uh, has actually offered me quite a lot of context to work with. And so in return, uh, to return the effort that they've put into the question, I want to try and give a worthwhile answer and hopefully offer some value. Uh, The question came from Richard on Instagram Uh, and his initial question was, how do I gain clients? And so I messaged Richard and asked him for more context because you can only type literally a handful of words into that questions box on Instagram. And, you know, naturally I I needed more than that to work on as Richard understood. So he he came back with quite a lot of context. So I'm going to read you exactly what Richard said. And then I will give you my answer. So here's what Richard said. He said, 
I got made redundant from, uh, let's just say, a crappy company. I gambled moving into in November. Good hands-on experience, but extremely unorganised. So me and a good friend saw this as an opportunity. Uh, It's something we've always wanted to do, and now we finally have time to set it up. It's a photography studio focusing on commercial work. We thought that we should focus on one area, and the idea is to grow from that. We both come from large companies and have good experience in the field. We want to provide pack shots and marketing assets to local, sorry, small local commerce stores, boutiques, and expand outwards. As small brands should be pivoting towards online now more than ever, our service falls directly in line with what they need, which is high quality images of products to put online. And we have extremely competitive pricing structure Uh, that's unrivaled for the quality that we are outputting the trouble is and i guess this is where we get to the question but all of that context was really important and really helpful he says the trouble is we're finding it hard to find clients who are willing to sign up is this the wrong time how would you approach finding clients as a business owner yourself with your own agency and so that's richard's question Uh, now i'm going to try and answer this relatively briefly because i could quite literally go into this for hours this is the kind of situation the kind of challenge that we help businesses overcome at dream Uh, and so we literally have hours worth of workshops and processes to overcome each element of a client acquisition challenge such as this but for the sake of the format the medium that we're in right now which is a relatively short podcast i won't bore you with the nuts and bolts instead i'm going to share with you a couple of key principles and i think a couple of logical approaches Uh, that I think Richard can take, but that that I also think almost any B2B business can take to grow. Uh, So the first thing you need to do, uh, I was just pulling out my notes, I've made some notes on this. Uh, The first thing you need to do, I'm going to break this down to a few areas, right? And each area leads into the next. So this is almost like a, a process of the steps that I would take to grow Richard's business if I was in his shoes. So the first thing you need to do is understand who your customers actually are. Now, of course, it sounds like you have a really strong idea of that already. You've spoken about small businesses who are transitioning into or doubling down on the online space because of everything that's going on with bricks and mortar businesses right now. You mentioned small businesses, uh, boutiques, that kind of thing, right? But I think that to truly understand your customers from a sales point of view, you need to build the most detailed personas you possibly can. There's no such thing as too much information, too much insight when it comes to building personas. So you want to be making note of things like uh, for your ideal customer, the size of company, their turnover, maybe the kinds of products they sell, uh, their location or locations. Uh, their customer base, so the kinds of end consumers they're selling to, uh, how sophisticated, generally speaking, their current online offering is, and then as a benchmark, what kind of uh, photography uh, their competition is using, so you understand relatively where your ideal customer sits and where they're expected to sit. Uh, Basically, you want to understand as much as possible about your ideal clients, and then you want to package your offering around the needs of theirs that you have identified and the reason that's important is because it ties into the next point which i'm about to make which is that you need to understand the outcome you're selling right so forget about selling photography for a minute Uh, what you're actually selling to small businesses 
And I think you've kind of hinted at this with uh, the context of your question, but you're not selling photography. You're actually selling an outcome, right? So take Dream. We don't sell marketing services. Uh, you know, you could say we do, but actually that's not what our customers buy. Our customers do not care for Facebook ads or Google ads or copywriting or content marketing, right? They have no emotional attachment to those things. What we sell and what our customers buy is things such as additional revenue or profit or customer satisfaction. Uh, so an accounting firm doesn't sell their ability to type numbers into a spreadsheet and fill in HMRC forms. What they're actually selling to their clients is legal compliancy and tax efficiency and the avoidance of fines, right? And so your business, a photography business, you don't sell 900 pixel wide JPEGs. You sell your clients the ability for their brand to be taken seriously. You sell them increased click-through rates from their Facebook ads because eye-catching imagery does just that. You sell them higher conversion rates on their e-commerce websites because their product shots show the things they're trying to sell in the best light. The thing you think you're selling and the thing that your client is actually buying are oftentimes two entirely different things. And so let's take both of those points together. You need to have a clearer than clear understanding of exactly the kind of businesses you want to work with. And then you need to know exactly what it is that those businesses want to buy from you. And then once you've done that, you have three components left. The first is you need to find actual businesses which fit into that customer persona, right? So you need to find the business name, their website, take a look at their site, find their contact details, maybe find the name of the managing director or whoever it is you've identified as the person responsible for buying from you. So you need to collect data. You then need to produce as portfolio pieces the kinds of photos that those ideal customers would be buying from you if you haven't already got shots which would appeal to, say, I don't know, bike companies, if you do already, perfect. Uh, and then finally, I would say that you need to reach out to those customers in a, a logical way to generate leads, right? There's, it's no good being sporadic. It's no good sending 15 Instagram DM, not to suggest you do, but we see businesses who do this, right? You know, it's no, it's no good sending 15 Instagram DMs and then doing eight cold calls and sending four emails and then trying to somehow measure the effectiveness of that. What you want to do is focus on one or two core areas of outreach and really focus on improving those week after week. Uh, and so I would suggest with all of the above in mind and with the kind of business that you have the most efficient and perhaps the most effective way to do this would be with uh, email marketing. So there is an art and a science to writing effective cold uh, sales emails. And again, this would be something that would take hours to explain in masses of detail. Uh, but there are some core principles to consider when you're sending a cold sales message to any business, right? The first is that you want to keep your message short and direct. Nobody likes to read waffle uh, you know, we all get those long sales emails that we open, we glance at, we think, fuck me, I'm not reading that. And we archive or delete immediately. So you want to keep your messages short and direct to the point. You want to use personalization in each of your messages where you can. You want to use stats which back up what you can achieve as an outcome. So the outcome that you've identified that your ideal clients would have 
if they wanted to buy from you, you want to use stats and data and anecdotes to back up that you're able to achieve that. And then you want to have a clear call to action at the end of any email you send. And so I noted this down like super, super quickly. So I'm not suggesting that this is perfect, but this plays into some of the principles. I would send to all of the businesses that you've identified as ideal customers and found their contact details. I would send something like this as an initial email. I'd say, hey, John, forgive my direct approach, but I want to help you make more money from your website. There's research which shows that better product imagery on e-commerce websites can increase conversion rates by 30% and boost the average order value of your customers. I've shot photography for some of the biggest consumer brands in the UK. I would love to do the same for John's Bike Shed to help boost your brand and increase your revenue. I'm planning on giving you a call about this one afternoon next week. Does Tuesday or Thursday work best for you? Richard. P.S. I've attached my portfolio. I think you'll be particularly interested in the photos on page eight. Now that sounds like a bit of a weird email. That's certainly not the structure of email you're used to seeing, I imagine. And that's because there are a few tricks that have gone into the copy of an email like that, which will boost your chances of a response. The first is that you're getting straight to the point. Uh, you're, you're avoiding any any fluff and you're starting with a slightly unusual opening line, right? You, what are the words we started with? You said, forgive my direct approach. Now that captures attention. It's none of this. I hope you're well. Wow. Such unusual times. God, isn't lockdown weird? How's the wife? There's none of that waffle, right? Um, we've all become blind to the opening lines of emails when they are using lots of words to say nothing. So you want to use very few words to say a lot. Next, you're instantly giving your prospects a reason why there is value in working with you, right? It's fair to assume that many business owners probably think that photography is an expense rather than an investment. So using some stats, I have to say, the stat I used in that email is entirely made up. I just pulled it out of my head, but there will be data out there which will show in some study or other that uh, rightfully that conversion rates on websites are increased by good photography right so you want to find that stat and you want to use stats that help shift the paradigm from this guy's trying to cost me money to this guy is trying to help me make more money uh, you're then asking a question that direct call to action at the end but you're asking a question in such a way where no isn't an option don't get me wrong somebody could reply and say fuck off and some people probably will or somebody could and most people will ignore this email but you're not openly inviting somebody to say no to you, right? You've, you've asked, does Tuesday or Thursday work best? You can't say no to that question, right? The Chris Voss, Never Split the Difference, is a great book uh, to understand more techniques like that. But you're giving the prospect the option to reply with either Tuesday or Thursday or maybe another day that works for them. But they can't immediately reply no. So you're more likely to get a positive response. And then finally... In the PS, you've told the prospect that there is a particular page in your attached portfolio that will capture their attention. Now, you've made it feel like you've really considered what that prospect might like, and you've also opened up a feedback loop in their mind. And therefore, it's more likely that they're actually going to click on and open the attachment to see what is so special about page eight. So let me read that email again. Uh, now that you can consider what's going into it right so hey john 
Forgive my direct approach, but I want to help you make more money from your website. There's research which shows that better product imagery on e-commerce websites can increase conversion rates by 30% and boost the average order value of your customers. I've shot photography for some of the biggest consumer brands in the UK. I would love to do the same for John's Bike Shed to help boost your brand and increase your revenue. I'm planning on giving you a call about this one afternoon next week. Does Tuesday or Thursday work best for you? Richard. P.S. I've attached my portfolio. I think you'll find particular... Sorry, I think you'll be particularly interested in the photos on page eight. And so that's really it. Obviously, there are things like you want to have a number of follow-up emails to send and you want to be ready to actually get on the phone with anybody who replies and says they're interested. I'm not suggesting that you actually telephone everybody that you send an email to. What I'm suggesting is if, say, two out of the 100 emails you send reply and say, oh, yeah, Wednesday's good for me or Monday's great, you would then obviously have to be ready to phone those people and have a follow-up sales conversation. Um, But really, this kind of marketing, like all kinds of marketing, is about building the entire campaign and every consideration around the customer, right? If your ideal customers that we spoke about are a good fit, if you've really considered them and made it a good fit, and then if your value messaging has considered the needs of those perfect customers, and then if you find the right contact details for the people in those businesses, and you have a legitimate interest in contacting them with the right messages, if you get your email copyright, and then you're consistent with your follow-ups, it's just a matter of time. At that point, it's a numbers game, right? The output of more clients will be a lagging measurement of how many companies you reach out to. And so in the shortest way possible, that is the headlines of how I would go about winning new business for your, uh, sorry, winning new customers for your business. Uh, Now, of course, do let me know if you have any questions about that, Richard, because this was very brief um, and I probably probably opened up more doorways to questions than I have solved answers, but yeah, we're connected on Instagram, so fire me a message if you need anything. Uh, and other than that, best of luck. Let me know how you get on. I really do hope it it works out. And I really enjoyed answering this question. It would be nice to have more business questions uh, from anybody who's listening. So if you're listening and you do have a business question, please do send it over uh, because I'd love to answer more questions like that one. I really enjoy, although I do it however many hours a day, every day. I also really enjoy just the the strategy side of being able to uh, prize apart a business and point out perhaps the most direct route to revenue or the most direct route to more profitability. It's a weird, a weird um, interest area of mine, but I suppose it aligns well with what I do. So that's all good news. And then the second question is from Sam. And believe it or not, it's about my fashion sense um i laugh because i don't think i dress particularly well but it was a it was a nice question to have anyway sam asked this he said perhaps unexpected but i love your fashion sense any male fashion advice question mark now as i say i can answer this quite quickly but i think that the reason i picked this one to answer is i it's the answer's kind of about fashion the answer's kind of nothing about fashion right Like I said, I don't consider myself to be well-dressed, right? I mean, behind me as I record this right now is like a a rail of clothes of mine. And really, other than merch from gigs, what that rail consists of is £10 black jeans from Primark, 
couple of pairs of them. £3 black t-shirts from Primark, a shitload of them in size, either size large or extra large because I like them to be quite baggy. And there's no point paying for long line fit clothes because they're just twice the price for no reason, just buy up a couple of sizes. Uh, and also the shoulders kind of drop when you buy sizes which are too big, which I like as well. Uh, a few black hoodies and black quarter zips, right? There's, there's nothing special, there's nothing creative or even inspired about the way I dress. And then on my feet, a couple of pairs of trainers. To be fair, from, from a clothing point of view, the only thing that interests me, which costs more than a few quid, is trainers. So I have a couple of pairs of, a couple of pairs of Yeezys. I have the triple whites and I have the tail lights, both 350s, uh, which I kind of rotate 50-50. Um, and that's it, really. But the reason I say that is because my approach to fashion, if you want to call it that, is similar to my approach to a lot of things in life, which is that I'm far more interested in things which are simple and practical than things which are kind of outwardly signalling the kind of person that you think you are. Now, that's not to say that I have any beef with people who enjoy fashion, because I understand that for many, many people, fashion is a creative expression and it's a way that people... Uh, outwardly project to the world who they are uh, and they're all good things they're things that don't interest me but they're all good things but my philosophy if you want to call it that the word philosophy perhaps makes it sound like I've considered this more than I really have but that my philosophy to fashion is my philosophy to most things in life which is I'm far more interested in in practicality and in simplicity than I am anything else so I like the idea of having all black everything uh, a because it looks quite good but b the reason everything's all black and the reason i have multiples of each item of clothing i wear as you probably noticed from my instagram i only ever wear one outfit is because it's just nice to wake up in the morning and not have to think about what you're wearing right i just grab a t-shirt grab a hoodie grab some black jeans stick one of my two pairs of trainers on and that's me and that is the outfit i wear to the office it's the outfit i wear to a lot of meetings it is the outfit i've worn on my unsuccessful tinder dates which is maybe where i'm going wrong it's the outfit i wear to dinners to gigs traveling everything because it works for me right and i'm comfortable in it and i think that's way more important than uh, than trying too hard i don't know the word because trying too hard might not be fair but uh, like i say i i i don't have beef with but i also don't understand the mindset behind 250 pound like Balmain t-shirts or like these really bougie crazy 190 pound jeans which to me look the same as 10 pound jeans and I just I can't get on board of it all so I'm not sure I can give you any fashion advice but I hope that that gives you the slightest bit of insight into the handful of reasons why I wear the same outfit every day and don't get me wrong I think the outfit looks good I wouldn't wear it if I thought it looked shit but yeah, it's just, it's very uncreative. There's nothing I hate more than wearing like shirts and trousers. I always roll up the um, cuffs, is that the right word? The, the, the end bit of my jeans, I always roll those up. So like there's a slight bit of ankle showing. I made that sound really promiscuous, didn't I? But as in, that's just how I like to wear jeans. So there's nothing I hate more than having to go to a formal meeting and wear like suit style trousers that like, 
drape over my shoes just shit like that makes me feel uncomfortable and if I feel uncomfortable I'm not going to perform well in a meeting I'm not going to be focused on the task at hand and so uh, like I say it's just all about feeling comfortable simplicity practicality and there we have it okay and then that is it that is both of the questions I'm going to ask today I don't know how we're doing for time but I feel like this is a good length episode um thank you for listening as always uh, and I do hope that you you've enjoyed you've taken value from this episode I've really enjoyed answering both of those questions actually I thought the I thought the second one would be a bit of a curveball but it all came together um as always particularly if you're listening on iTunes please please do consider leaving a five star review for this podcast it helps with discoverability it helps it climb in the charts it helps it do all of those good things and it makes me feel like i have value i'm joking but yeah please do do that um and also please do consider sharing this episode if you have found it interesting uh if you share it on instagram or twitter feel free to tag me and i'll give it a reshare my username on either of those platforms is spooner sean s-p-o-o-n-e-r-s-e-a-n and then finally, uh, I want to tell you that uh, you may you may have heard last week I mentioned that there is something I'm working on to do with this life and lessons project, which I want to tell you more about. Uh, I'm not going to go into it in any level of detail this week. I plan to tell you far more details about it next week. But I'm going to be launching a newsletter in a few weeks' time. And as part of that newsletter, I will be writing to you two times a week to share with you in a more considered and a more detailed way just thoughts thoughts about life thoughts about business thoughts about anything so that'll be a fun project i'll tell you more about that uh this time next week when i see you back here for episode number 25 of life and lessons see you then Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.